0: good morning, Crossroads. How are you today? Man, let's do this. Well, welcome to your church, right? It's great to be here today. My name is Drew and uh, I love your pastor and his wife, Savannah. And we have, we spent about four years together in Texas, but we feel like we've known each other forever, just like family to us. And I'm excited Uh, for your church. I'm excited for your future. Uh, I I hope you feel blessed to be under Patrick's leadership. I think that the best days are ahead. Uh, Best days are ahead for this church and I'm very excited about that. I want to welcome our West Campus today as well as welcome those of you that are watching online. It's always a blessing to have you be a part of church here today. It's great to be back in my home state of Indiana. I love Indiana. I am a die-hard Indiana Hoosier basketball fan. Yeah. I figured that would please about half the crowd. That's good, that's good. Uh, I grew up about two hours north of here in a little town called Brazil, Indiana. And, uh, but here's the deal. I, I'm actually, I, I kinda hate to say this, you wanna be very humble as a pastor, but I'm kind of a big deal in Indiana, actually. And the reason is, is I hit a really, really big shot in a basketball game when I was in high school, and I just wanna I just happened to have a clip, so I wanted to show it to you real quick. Alright, lift it up, lift it up. Here's what we're gonna do. Jimmy, they're gonna be expecting you to take the last shot. We're gonna use you as a decoy. Buddy, you get the ball, give the real. he's gonna take the last shot. All right, let's go. What's the matter with you? I'll make it. All right, buddy, get the ball of Jimmy. Top the key. Let's spread the floor, let's go. The key! come back by Hickory. The in by Ray Butcher, who was responsible for the interception. It goes into Buddy Thank you. That was a big moment in my life, so I wanted to… I thought if anybody would appreciate that kind of creativity, it would be a Southern Indiana crowd. So… Uh, it is great to be here. I want to personally invite you to the North American Christian Convention uh, 2018. It's held this year in Indianapolis and it's at the convention center it's June 26, 27, 28. Please save the date. I have the honor of being this year's president of the North American Christian Convention. Take a moment and just look at this promo. I really hope that you could maybe even come up for one day. We'd love to have you. I know Patrick is going to be there, and it's just going to be a very exciting week. And so I just wanted to invite you, and if you want to have any more information about that, please come see me at the Welcome Center today out in the atrium. We'd love to talk to you more about the convention and meet you as well. I want to begin with a story today. I love this story. There's a guy, he's driving around, and he sees a sign in front of a house, and it says Talking Dog for Sale. So he's intrigued, you would be too, right? And so he goes up, he knocks on the front door and the owner uh, answers the door and says, well, the dog's in the backyard. And so the guy goes into the backyard and he sees a golden retriever sitting there. And he looks at the dog and he says, do you talk? And the dog says, yep, I do. And he says, well, what's your story? And the dog says, well, I discovered that I could talk when I was pretty young, so I contacted the CIA because I wanted to help the government. And at no time at all, they had me jetting around from country to country, engaging with uh, different world leaders. And I uncovered some amazing things. I was the most important spy in America for years. Uh, But the jetting around really tired me out, and so I decided to settle down. I took an undercover security job at a local airport did that for a while and covered some incredible drug deals, was awarded a batch of medals, got married, had a mess of puppies, and now I'm just retired. And the guy's like, this is the most amazing dog I've ever seen in my life. So he goes to the owner and he says, what do you want for this amazing talking dog? And the owner says, um, 10 bucks. 10 bucks? This dog is amazing. Why on earth are you selling him so cheap? He says, because he's a liar. He didn't do any of that stuff. (laughs) I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. (laughs) Now, a talking dog might seem a little bizarre to us, but in our story today, God is going to speak to a man named Moses in in an equally unusual manner through a burning bush. And Moses is an intriguing Bible guy that I can really identify with, and I want to study just for a moment today a season in his life, and I hope that you can identify with him too and maybe learn a few things. First, a little background. The nation of Israel is under Egyptian oppression. It's been about 400 years. That's a long time. Their children and their grandchildren have no memory of freedom. Their, their story is a sad one. It's, a, it's about bondage. It's about slavery. They have no national identity. We're introduced to this man, Moses, early on in Exodus chapter two, and he has no idea that he's about to be used by God to be an agent of deliverance for the children of Israel. So he's going to set the captives free. Here's what's happening. Pharaoh gives an executive order that all male Hebrew babies should be uh, murdered at birth. Horrible oppression, mind you, unthinkable in our day. And Moses' parents want to get creative, and and they want to outwit Pharaoh. And they hide their baby in a basket and place him in the free-flowing Nile River, hoping that someone, praying that someone will have compassion on him. And it just so happens that Moses' older sister is attending Pharaoh's daughter when she finds this baby in a basket Check it out in Exodus chapter two, verse seven. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Hmm, I wonder who she'll find. Yes, go, she says. And the girl went to the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. What a great story, right? Moses' mother is gonna be compensated to nurse her own baby boy. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because I drew him out of the water. And that's how Moses gets brought into the Egyptian world. Now, fast forward a few years. Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace and he becomes the prince of Egypt and he learns Egyptian culture and he's familiar with the Egyptian ways and the many gods of Egypt. And there's a day in his life that would sort of mark Moses He's out one day amongst the soldiers, and and he witnesses a Hebrew slave that's being abused by an Egyptian soldier, and in a fit of rage, Moses kills the Egyptian soldier. And his crime, of course, doesn't go unnoticed. Exodus chapter 2 says, when Pharaoh heard what had happened, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses escaped from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. It's a desert community, so he's a wanted man now. He's on the run. He's a fugitive and he forfeits all of his power and all the royalty in the palace, and he becomes a shepherd for the next four decades. That's quite a departure from a life growing up in Egyptian royalty. And one day, Moses is out herding the flock, and he comes upon a bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. And he goes over to see this very strange sight and God begins to speak to him from the burning bush. Can you imagine him going back to the shepherd's quarters that night? What'd you do today, Moses? Oh, no big deal, God talked to me through a burning bush. Sure, sure he did, Moses. We think you've been burning a little bush, right? <laughs> Thank you, Jim Gaffigan, for that joke. But it's true. God is speaking through a burning bush, and we're about to get a very simple lesson from all heaven, but very profound. Here's what we learn: God's a God of the people. He loves people the very, very moment that he identifies himself. He says in Exodus chapter three, verse six, I am the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. It's real easy to read that tiny verse and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is a big, big moment in the history of God and his people. God is introducing himself to us and he chooses to identify himself as a father. He's a God of the people. He loves people. And he's saying, I'm the God of your father and his father and his father. And I've been around for a long time since the beginning and I'm going to be here till the end. And God wanted Moses to remember that. So he reverts back to a little history. And the Bible says at this point, Moses hides his face from God because he was afraid to look at him. Which is kind of interesting to me, really, because are you like me? I don't know. Maybe it's just I grew up in the church and I, I, I went to vacation Bible school and I went to Sunday school. And so because I know all this stuff about Bible characters, I tend to graduate them to like supernatural status. Do you ever do that? He's Moses. He's, he's Bible guy. He's like an Avenger, right? Like he's supernatural status. He's, he's Charlton Heston with chiseled features. His duck dynasty beard swaying in the wind. His voice sounds like James Earl Jones, right? I'm Moses, I'm Bible guy, right? That was a really bad James Earl Jones, I'm sorry. But but here's the truth. We do this. We, we did it for Abraham. He's Abraham. He's the father of our nation, you know, or the father of, of, of our faith. He's a superhero. Listen, um, Abraham was a 90-year-old senior citizen when God called him. If he were here in Evansville today, he'd probably be in a nursing home playing bingo in the rec hall, right? I mean, the truth is, we sort of graduate these guys. So when you picture Moses, don't picture fearless Bible guy. He's scared. He's hiding his face, scared. He's shaking in his sandals, scared, scared. And the Lord says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. you hear the language? My people. And he says, I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. He's concerned. Would you do me a favor? Catalog that in your heart just for a moment. I think it's real important for us to remember. God's not abstract. He's not theoretical. He's involved. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not a divine finger pointer. He loves people. He loves you. He loves me. It was that way from creation. When you open up your Bible to the book of Genesis, what are the first three words? You know that, right? It's in the beginning. When you you open up your Bible, the first three words are in the beginning, right? Like in the beginning of what? The origin of God? No, we don't know much about that. It's the beginning of the story of God and his people. It's a love story. He loves people. And it leads us to another big moment, high drama. God's coming down. And the Bible says in verse 8, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. This is a big moment. We learn another lesson real quick. Not only is God a God of the people, God works through people. That's a really simple message, but it's very profound. God says, so now go, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I wonder if Moses was confused. He looks up at God. You said you were coming down. I tried to come down. You see where that got me. Now I'm tending these smelly sheep. But God wouldn't hear of it. No, Moses, I'm sending you. Do you ever pray desperate prayers in this day and age that we live in? God help us, God bless America, God move in our town, God be with our kids, protect them in school, clean up that place of business, just show up. We're surrounded by all this sin, this world that we live in, and we cry out to God and we say, God, why don't you do something? And he says, I have, I've put you there. And then you say, no, send somebody else, right? That's what I said. When I uh, was graduating from high school, I decided to be a pharmacist, um, I I didn't have a real deep thinking that went into that. I just, I worked at a drugstore and I saw the pharmacist and he had this white coat and he looked pretty cool and he drove a Mercedes and I was really shallow. So I thought, I'll just do that. You know, I put a lot of thinking into it, right? So I decided I was gonna go to Purdue, which tells you how bad I wanted to be a pharmacist that I would actually do that, right? And so I was on my way to Purdue with my father, August 1984. Rain's coming down so hard there's a big thunderstorm and we can't even see the road. And my dad pulls over. My father looks at me and says, so this is what you want to do with your life. I said, yeah, dad, I, I, I'm excited about it. So, so you want to count pills the rest of your life? Well, I think there's a little more to it than that, but yeah, I, I guess so. Where are you going with this dad? My father looks at me and he says, your mom and I always thought you'd be in ministry. That might've been a nice thing to tell me one time in my life, dad. My father looks at me and he says, I'm telling you now. Long story short, we never made it to Purdue. We turned the car around. Three days later, I was in a 7 a.m. Old Testament history class at Ozark Bible College. That'll wake you up. (laughs) I learned a valuable lesson that day on the road to Purdue. God had a place for me in his kingdom God uses people to move his kingdom forward. I never saw myself being a part of the kingdom of God. I never saw myself being a contributor. But God loves people. He uses people. People sharing and caring and serving and loving and giving. You and me. When we all come together, the local church is a beautiful thing. You know what's not beautiful? When the local church is divided. When you're disengaged and you're aloof. When when you're detached. When we become self-centered and and self-focused. The local church dies a thousand deaths. There's a moment in scripture that's so powerful. Paul is writing and he says, the human body has many body parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the church, the body of Christ. And then he says this, all of you now together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. That everybody in this room, everybody that's watching at the West Campus right now, and everybody watching online, you have a part in the body of Christ. It's so powerful to think about that. I was thinking about the alternative to that. You know, I think the grossest thing in the whole world is a body part that's disconnected from the body. You don't see it that often, but when, if you do see it, You're most likely to see a body part disconnected from the body in two places. Number one is a horror movie, which I never go because I'm a scaredy cat. It's not uncommon in a horror movie to see a hand severed or a finger severed or even a head severed from someone's body. You know where else you tend to see it? In the church. It's tragic. Both of those places are super scary. Detached body parts are better off in horror movies, not the church. It's God's people that make up the church, the body of Christ, and you need to be connected. And it's tragedy when you aren't connected because God uses people to move the kingdom forward. And the key is to having the courage to get involved when God calls your name. And that's where Moses is. God is calling his name. Moses said to God, "Who, who, who am I that I would go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Moses doesn't feel qualified to play a big part in the kingdom of God. Moses has a few weaknesses. He's fearful. He lacks self-confidence. We're told later that he, is, he has trouble speaking. I can relate to that. When I was in kindergarten, my parents put me in speech therapy. I, had, I was a little tone deaf and I had some problems speaking like my father did at certain syllables that I just couldn't pronounce. And so in my school during the morning recess is when they had speech therapy. So all the other little kids are playing dodgeball and they're on the monkey bars. And I'm in this little room with this woman. Her name was Mrs. Pinson. And I would just be reciting things like Charlie chose the chunky chicken at the church dinner. Charlie chose the chunky chicken at the church dinner. Charlie, I just say that over and over and over again. I was in speech therapy for almost five years with Mrs. Pinson. She finally calls my parents. She calls a parents meeting. And she says to them, and I quote, true story, you can ask my mother today. She said, um, Drew is going to be just fine as long as he doesn't choose a career in public speaking. (laughs) Yeah, I never really liked Mrs. Pinson anyway. (laughs) But I stand before you today as a testimony that if God can use me, he can use you. And it's the third lesson. It's so simple, so simple, but don't miss it. It's my favorite lesson that we learn in the life of Moses, is that God does some of his best work through flawed people. Thralled people. Moses was a flawed, a deeply flawed person. He had some things in his past he wished he could relive, don't we all? A few years ago, I was at a grocery store in our hometown. Um, it's called Market Street, and they serve lots of hot food. And, and so I was... some. Um, looking for lunch one day, and there was a a sign that kind of captured my attention. It said, create your own pasta bowl. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I like pasta, and so I thought, this is fun. I'll get to create this pasta bowl. And so I put this thing together, and they give me a receipt, and I go to the counter. But it was interesting. When I looked down at my receipt, the receipt said, create your own past." $9.49. I guess there weren't enough caricatures there, and it left off the A in pasta But I put that receipt in my pocket and I still have it today because I remembered, wouldn't it be nice to be able to create your own past for $9 and 49 cents? I mean, if we had this opportunity to sort of reinvent our past for $10, I think most of us would do it. I suppose just about everyone in the room would love a do-over in some area of their life. I mean, let's face it, we're some flawed people. I love the story of the mom who visits her son for dinner one evening, and her son lives with a female roommate, and she really doesn't approve of that, and she can't help but notice how pretty the roommate is, and during the course of the evening, she became suspicious that there was more that met the eye to their relationship. Her son catches on, I know what you must be thinking, Mom, but I assure you, Jennifer and I, we are just friends, we're just roommates. About a week later, Jennifer came to him and said, you know, it's really funny. Ever since your mom was here for dinner, I can't find the silver serving plate. You don't think she took it, do you? He said, well, I I doubt it. I don't think my mother's a thief, but I'll email her just to be sure. He sat down and wrote, dear mother, I'm not saying that you did take the silver plate from my house. I'm not saying that you did not take the silver plate. But the fact remains, it's been missing ever since you were here for dinner. Several days later, he received an email from his mom which read Dear son, I'm not saying that you and Jennifer are more than just friends, and I'm not saying that you aren't. But the fact remains if she was sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the silver plate by now. That one takes a second, doesn't it? Let <laughs> like, go, mom, right? We all have moments in our life where we have lacked integrity, moments we aren't really proud of, seasons we wish we could have back. If I've learned anything in now three decades of ministry, it's that the grace of Jesus always seems to outweigh my flaws. I'm so grateful for that. Sometimes our flaws are small. Michelle and I were at a theater near our church. We do advertising there. We found it to be productive to advertise in movie theaters and there's just moving pictures of our church, and there's, our service times are up there, but my voice is behind the narrative. And so we, we kind of went early to kind of watch this commercial, and there's a couple behind us that are listening, and as my voice comes across the screen, not my face, just my voice, the lady be, behind me, she goes to her husband and she says, his voice is kind of annoying. I don't think I would ever want to go to that church. My wife stands up and turns around, and I'm thinking, this is awesome, girl fight in the theater. She turns around and she goes, you have no idea how annoying he can really be. (laughs) Just throws me under the bus, right? And nobody's perfect, right? Sometimes our flaws are small. Sometimes there's one overriding problem that you might be fearing would keep you out of ministry. Maybe there's something that no matter how hard you try, you just keep going back to it. Maybe it's a secret sin or an addiction. My heart goes out to you. There's so many of us that are in that position. It's it's really hard. I was thinking about that as I was thinking about this last year. Um, I had the opportunity to uh, mentor about 60 pastors over the course of a year. It was called The Ascent and they would come to my church uh, three different times. There were 20 pastors that would come and we had the opportunity to kind of mentor them, younger pastors, and there was a Tuesday where they had lunch, and then they would come over to our house for the afternoon, and my wife said, I'm gonna make some of my homemade peanut butter cookies. She's an amazing cook, and so she makes these cookies, and I'll just be honest with you, I'm just gonna confess to you. Sometimes when you're away from home, you can even confess things that you wouldn't confess to your people, but I will tell you, I'm addicted to peanut butter cookies. Don't let this slender exterior confuse you, okay? Why was that funny? I don't understand. Anyway, (laughs) so I'm really addicted to her peanut butter cookies and so she makes these cookies and they eat about two dozen in the course of the afternoon but there's two dozen left. The problem is I had started Weight Watchers the day before and turns out like each peanut butter cookies is like 12 points and you get like 28 per day. Anyway, I'm I'm rambling. Anyway, you get the idea. I can't really eat these peanut butter cookies. My wife says, you can have one. Which eating one homemade peanut butter cookie with a glass, I mean, that's like an abomination to God, right? But I eat the cookie and then she does something next. She takes the cookie, she puts them in a Ziploc bag and we have this big island in our kitchen. And so she takes the cookies and there's a drawer that comes out and it's actually, it looks like a drawer, a cabinet, but it's a trash can. And so she puts the the cookies in a Ziploc bag and she throws them in the trash can, which was a very un like thing to do, in my opinion. Okay. Now, here's where the story gets crazy. I said, listen, I could have at least taken those to church tomorrow to pass out to the other pastors. And she said, honey, I love you dearly, but I have no faith that they would ever make it to church. (laughs) So we go to bed. I get up the next morning. I'm sitting down. I'm having coffee. It's my quiet time. I'm drinking coffee. And I kind of look around the corner and I see that drawer and I'm thinking, I mean, they're in a Ziploc bag, Right. (laughs) Right? I mean, it says right there on the container that they're, you know, bacteria-free, like they're fresh, you know. And so I I pull it out and and, uh, I did it. I opened up the Ziploc bag and I took one, five, and then I I sealed it back up and I shoved the thing there. And I'm putting cookies in my mouth really fast, you know. And of course, she comes around the corner and she sees me eating these cookies. And uh, which was really helped because my devotions had really come alive. The Holy Spirit was working, you know. And she comes around the corner, she puts her hand on her hip and she says the two things that you know never, like nothing good ever comes from these words. She looked at me and she goes, really, seriously? <laughs> and I couldn't talk because my mouth were full of cookies. And, uh, and so as she takes the bag and she takes it out of the trash can, she goes out through the garage and she puts it in the big black container that's gonna go out on the curb the next day. So I go to work. I wish this story was over, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to work, and, um, <laughs> and it's, <clears throat> it's been a warm day in Texas. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's been a warm day in Texas. And uh, about eight hours later, I come back, I go through our gate, and I park the car, and I'm walking back. I'm happy, I'm whistling, I've had a good day, and I look over, and I see that trash can. <laughs> and I'm thinking, they're still in a Ziploc bag. And they're warm. <laughs> and so I'm tiptoeing. I don't know why, but I'm tiptoeing, you know, and I'm pulling, putting up the thing, and I see her coming through the garage. I swear she has eyes in the back of her head. And I just slam it down, and I walk through, and I give her a kiss, and I made it past. I'm here to tell you that I made it past the trash can. I really did. I didn't go back. I didn't go back. I, until later that afternoon, and then, uh, no, I'm just kidding. And I, I tell you that story to remind you, that silly story reminds me that even if we're Christ followers, sometimes, for whatever reason, we tend to somehow gravitate back to the trash of this world if we're not careful. Paul writes this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And every time I'm tempted to go dumpster diving in this world, I think of what Jesus did for me. And I'm so glad that God does some of his best work through really flawed people like me, that he's able to do his work through us for the redemption of his people. So here's Moses, and he's worried about his ability to make any kind of kingdom impact. That's where I was when I was 18. I didn't think that God had a plan for me or a place for me. This is where Moses is. And Moses is asking the same questions that I ask. Who am I? What could God possibly do through me? I'm not worthy. I'm not your guy. And I love God's response because he doesn't give Moses a pep talk and he doesn't tell him that he's a snowflake, unique and special in every way. He simply says to him five words, Moses, I will be with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm sorry, but I think back to some of the darkest moments in my life, and just knowing those five words made all the difference in the world. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Romans. He says, we know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And then he says this, if God is for you, who could possibly be against you? That God is virtually telling Moses, I guarantee victory here. I I love that. Moses says, who am I? What makes me qualified? And God responds, I'll be with you. And maybe you're like me. You ask that question. Who am I? Who am I? I'll tell you who you are. You're the one that God is with. You're the one that God is with. And the long and short of it is, through this flawed individual, through Moses, God redeemed the children of Israel and his people were once again free. And it made way for an amazing nation, which gave way and ultimately birthed. Jesus, the Messiah, the one who would begin the church, who would die for our sins, who would be buried and resurrected, and then the church began, and that's why you and I are here today. Here's my takeaway from this amazing story, and if you don't get anything else out of this, would you please remember this? Friend, don't ever forget. God will do what you can't, but he will never do what you won't. Listen, let me say it again. God will do what you can't, but God will never do what you won't. Now, whenever Moses was short on power, God said, I got that. Don't worry about that. I'm the God of all creation. I got power. If there's anything I got, I got power. I'll be your strength. I'll be your might. I'll be your power. But if Moses was short on courage, God wanted to see him muster up the faith to make it happen and to believe in him. And we have to trust God that his power is going to be there, he'll bring the thunder. And we have to roll up our sleeves and dig in and move obediently and sacrificially. And we worship like it's all up to God. And we work like it's all up to us. And as we move in obedience, God's power gets distributed and dispensed to others. It gets revealed. God will do what you can't, but he will never do what you won't. Some of you, some of you have the ability to be amazing change makers in this church. You, you have the ability to invite others. I know your pastor's heart. I know his heart. Spent several years with him. I know his passion for lost people. His heart is that you would become, that this church would have a culture that would, that would invite others to hear the story of Jesus, that we would create an invite culture here at Crossroads. You know, a pastor can preach great passionate sermons and you can have amazing worship like you do here and great student ministries, but you know, <laughs> you know who carries the torch you know what makes a difference as to whether or not you're going to impact Evansville and the greater area for Jesus? It's you, it's you. God working inside of you, God using you, God moving the kingdom forward. Will you do that? Some of you have an impact. Your story would be a huge encouragement to a kid in the student ministry here. Will you tell your story? Some of you, <laughs> some of you have the gift of giving. You've been blessed with resources. Are you listening? There are some of you today, there are those among us here today, God is calling you into ministry. You've ignored his voice. You've made all the excuses just like I did. But today it's become abundantly clear, crystal clear. God is calling you. What will you do? What will you do when God calls your name? I know for a fact here at at this campus, we're going to have a few baptisms in a moment. Maybe God is calling you to be baptized. Maybe that's a profession of faith you've never made. And you've been putting it off and you make all the excuses, but maybe today is your day to do that. Maybe you, need to, maybe you need to come forward and be baptized today. But you have to make the first move. You have to respond to God's call. God will do what you can't, but he will never do what you won't. And listen, friends, if he can use me, he can use you. He's God of the people, he loves people. He loves you, he loves me. And I am so grateful. I am eternally thankful. That God does some of his best work through flawed people. People like me. People like you. Let me pray over you right now. God, we love you. I thank you so much for the story of Moses. I can identify with it so much. It's my story. God, thank you that you didn't give up on me. That you saw to it to to change the life of an 18-year-old on the road to Purdue years and years ago. And God, I know that there are people in this room who have can do enormous things for this church and in this kingdom. God, help us to have the courage to do that. And when you call our name, help us to respond. Help us to listen. Thank you for being a God of the people. You love people. We're grateful for that. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.